that was a splashdown. Okay. Okay, I started. So let me. Splashdown. Now, I wonder if anyone in the porn industry uses that as a euphemism. You'd hope so. You really would hope so. But I'm going to turn that off. Um, but I really want to keep that splashdown in, what you just said. <laughs> but at the same time, I also want to say greetings, movie boy. You have been recruited by the movie boys to defend the movie boy against Zer and the movie boy Armada uh, as an intro. So I'm kind of stuck between two worlds. Yeah, so that's I guess tough. That's if tough. I just keep in what you said about Splashdown while I was messing around with my special vibrating heat cushion that Carl Catron got me, thank you, Carl. And then just add in the self-aware bit about how I want to do the intro with the Starfighter thing, only with a lot of the words mixed and changed over to Movie Boys. Then we've got an intro, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. So, have we done it? Yes. Yeah, Excellent. Yes, yes All right. we've done it. Yeah, we've done an intro for a podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to all our new listeners who did confirm um, in comments that despite all of our great jokes, quite a few of them did listen to the uh, spin-off Doctors slash Movie Boys for the very first time with the Tomb Raider episode. So that's good, I, I guess. I mean, it, it kind of speaks to a high turnover that we have the same amount of listeners every week, but that many more new listeners. Right. Um, my theory is that, that we might just be getting brand new listeners every single time, so no one listens to it once. So, like, that would... I mean, I wouldn't listen to this again, if I, especially with this... Well, do you? Intro. I don't think you do. No. I don't think you do listen to it again, and you do the editing. Yeah, I don't even listen to it when I edit. I, I find the spots where I should put in little music uh, breaks and then just upload it, because I can't bear <laughs> listening to our voices. Um, so we empathize. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're very, very welcome, I guess, all of the new listeners for this episode, since the ones who were new for Tomb Raider won't be downloading it again. Um, that is good, though, that it's consistent. It is yeah. consistent. We get the same amount of listeners pretty much every week, sort of between 40,000, 50,000. Uh, and they're always brand new. So if we retained any, we'd be more popular than Ricky Gervais. <laughs> but we're not. We're, we're not that popular. We're not. We're just not any good at it. No, no. We've been doing podcasts for years, probably <laughs> decades. And it feels like decades. It feels like decades. Yeah, it's closer to a and decade. Yeah. Uh, but we've not gotten any better. <laughs> if you are brand new, if you're brand new to the show, um, I'm Jib Sterling. I'm joined by Conrad Zimmerman. Hello, Conrad. Hello. Fantastic. Um, I, that was me genuinely rating your hello there. Um, that was that was a really good greeting. And yeah. if you are brand new, what we do is on this podcast. It's not Podquisition. Uh, it's a movie. Well, it's a spin-off themed. We haven't done anything else but movies yet. Uh, it's a podcast where we look at things that have spun off from video games into other media. Um, so far, our track record is 100% movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah only talking yeah. about movies. Movie yeah. spin-offs, like Resident Evil, Silent Hill. We did Tomb Raider last week. Um, if you were around for that one, which you weren't, then what we do is we talk a little bit about the game that, the game series and our experiences with it. Then we do a plot-by-plot plot of the movie, which is what Conrad's going to do in a minute. And then we talk about our thoughts afterwards. Uh, the difference with this one is there's no real game to talk about. There's no game series because we're doing The Last Starfighter. Right. So much like when we did Wreck-It Ralph, which you didn't listen to, uh -oh. um, this is something that sort of... it. it, it 
we're doing it because it's associated with video games and that video games are kind of a central conceit in the plot. It's yeah. they're central to yeah. it. But And there is um I've got some facts later uh that we'll talk about why there's actually something of a bond between this and licensed video games. Um, I haven't got many facts. I, if, if, you, if you knew, which you are, then I do these little things called, called Jim Sterling's Fact of the Day, Movie Fact of the Day, where With I a watch... a trumpet that everyone loves. Everyone, everyone loves, loves trumpet. the trumpet. I'm not doing the trumpet this episode. Uh, people don't like it when I announce uh, my facts with a little 20th Century Fox-style trumpet that I do with my head. Um, and some people think that's really annoying and grating when they listen to it on headphones and I do it really close to the microphone louder than normal speaking. So, And, and I, think, I think to some extent the reason you're doing that is because you want it to be loud for my benefit. But the thing you don't realize <laughs> is that I have cranked down the volume level on my mic, uh, you know, so drastically that it's just, it's fine. It's kind of a thing you have to do for your survival if you do any recorded media with me, really. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't blame the man for it. God bless him. God bless him. Um, but actually, I do I feel, I do feel bad because I know that the audience is not so prepared. Yeah, yeah. They haven't learned their lesson after nearly a decade of podcasting. Well, and they only listen to each of these once. That's you know, true. Each, it's, that's it. That's true. So I'm not doing the trumpet. I will be... Announcing my facts, I don't know how yet. I've had two weeks to think of a replacement for the trumpets, and I didn't think of any. So I'm just going to do that off the fly. But I've got facts about The Last Starfighter, um, and that's good. But I guess we could talk a little bit about the periods, because this might be might be the earliest one we've done, and it might be the one of, certainly one of the earliest ones we'll ever do, because most spin-off video game movies and whatnot weren't really a thing until the very late 90s and, and early 2000s. So that's kind of the period where most of, kind of a golden age, if the gold in this term refers to piss, of video game-based movies. Uh, so the 80s, is, it's not something we, we get to talk about much, uh, which is a shame because I love 80s films. They have a very unique flavour to them. Um, you can't say that about a lot of other movies from other periods, in at least when we talk about contemporary cinema, because the 90s, the 2000s, there were definitely trends uh, that are specific to the decade, but they still feed off each other a lot more than 80s films did, because 80s had something that films that came afterwards didn't have, and that's sincerity. And that's something I've talked about before. In It's not just true of movies, it's true of music as well, television shows. Um, it's why Stranger Things, I think, has been so effective, is because it brings that sincerity back. It's There's no side-eyeing in Stranger Things. There's no tongue-in-cheek cynicism. There's no being ironic and sending up the 80s with Stranger Things. It's from the heart. And that's something you, you see in The Last Starfighter and a lot of movies of the age. The ridiculous shit that's coming out of their mouths, they mean it. When they're talking about cremuloids and all this other... It was always oids in the 80s. Anything up in space was an oid of some sort. Um, I guess playing off asteroid because that sounds a bit spacey. So I think there's a, there's a couple of oids referenced in The Last Starfighter referring to different aliens, something, something oid. Um, there's also the line, kiss your asteroid goodbye uh, in The Last Starfighter, which is brilliant. Beast, that's another thing that was used in 80s cinema a lot. Um, again, in The Last Starfighter, uh, the, it's, it's not just a hitman that comes to kill the main character at one point, it's a hit beast. Um, 
the first Alien film, which was late 70s, but close enough to be 80s, um, was originally going to be called The Star Beast. They didn't give a shit back then. Weird, stupid names, cringy plot, uh, weird Disney-style death scenes and comebacks. Didn't matter, because it was always from the heart. It was sincere, and that's why it's unimpeachable. Unimpeachable, my friend. It was a simpler time, Conrad. It was. I mean, there, it wasn't until the 90s came along and the culture shifted to insincerity and MTV. irony became... Um, uh, yeah, I guess MTV, MTV probably did, did play a big role. It's the it. MTV generation, Conrad. They didn't. Yeah. It was a simpler time in the eighties, Conrad. I don't know. No, it wasn't a simpler time. It wasn't a simpler time. We we were still living under the looming threat of, you know, nuclear war from an unplacable enemy that we couldn't identify. Uh, it, yeah, it, we could. They were the Russians. Yeah, but we didn't know anything about what they were doing. We like, still nothing. don't. But but. But, but we didn't have the internet back then. So we didn't have photos of Vladimir Putin back then like we do now. So people didn't think about it. In their mind, Vladimir Putin, who was still king of Russia at that time, uh, was kind of a cartoonish figure. Um, just just this, this faceless evil threat, which you see in a lot of 80s movies. Just these generic threats, because it was a simpler time. There wasn't... The human complexity of, of Vladimir Putin shirtless in the river catching fish with his bare hands. Oh, I think there's a lot less of um, an impulse to have entertainment make people think at that time. And that's I'm not like that's not a criticism of that either. I think entertainment for entertainment's sake is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Oh, yeah. I, I got in trouble in college for trying that move once. Yeah. Trying, I, I was just trying to bring the simpler times back to my performing arts and drama course in college. Uh, that department shut down after I left, by the way. Um, most of the things I've ever been involved with shut down after I left. The hospital I was born in was knocked down. Uh, so it's like history behind me just erases itself. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I once did a performance, uh, a theatrical production, if you can call them that, on the budgets we had, the, the zero budget. Um, and I just wanted to do a play that was in, entertaining and funny and fun. And that was it. That was the meaning of the piece. And I thought I was really clever because everyone else was doing, oh, it's about animal testing. It's about emotions. Oh, let's play the theme tune to American Beauty to sound deep. And then um, they marked me down. They, they marked you down? They came up with some bullshit reason. <laughs> Something about how my in, my stated intended goal conflicted with what we actually did in the performance. I don't know how, in the performance, I spent a lot of the time with my pants around my ankles um, doing a funny laugh. So, so that, 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 there was no deep meaning there. That's just what I just wanted my pants down because it was funny. Well, you know, that you, you were in school and the simpler time had passed already. Yeah, the simpler time was over. It was the time of irony. Yep. And cynicism, and I don't know, blur. But there is there's a, a softness and a hopefulness and and an earnestness in in films of this time. Absolutely. And like when I was thinking about Flight of the Nag Navigator and my recollections of it, I kept my memories of the film, which I had not seen in many many years. Uh, I, I know I have seen this before, but it had, I mean, decade mm -hmm. or more at least. Um, and I, 
I kept confusing it with Flight of the Navigator. You did a moment ago when you said Flight of the Navigator instead of The Last Starfinder. Did I? I didn't you even did. notice. That's how, yeah, yeah, that's 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 how confused you, because you said before we recorded that you, um, I guess yeah. before you sat down and watched this for the, the, the show, that you were thinking of Flight of the Navigator, or, or as we in the business call it, Flight of the Nav, um, which... <laughs> Because I'd never seen The Last Starfighter, despite loving the simpler times of the 80s uh, and the movies therein. Uh, that's one that had always eluded to me. Flight of the Navigator was, like, during the early 90s even, um, traditional Sunday viewing. Uh, mm -hmm. If there was nothing, if there was no live sports to show on a Sunday afternoon, whack on either an Indiana Jones or Flight of the Navigator. That's your afternoon sorted after your Sunday dinner with your nan. So... I'd seen that many, many times. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and again, it's, it's, it's not hard to confuse them because there was a lot of movies with similar thing, similar themes. And it's hard to say they were in a genre. I mean, nominally they were sci-fi, but there was this specific subgenre of fish out of water, young teen um, going to some weird fantastical place. Right. Um, you know, I, I also think of Jim Henson's The Labyrinth mm -hmm. as an, a, another one in that genre, which I think was 80s. Yes, I'm fairly yes. certain it was eighties. It couldn't. Yeah, be 90s, and that was that was uh, you know about the journey of fitting David Bowie's massive package into those tights. Absolutely, um, uh, God rest his soul and uh -huh. his gigantic potato package, which I believe he called the Lance. Good man. Yeah. Good yeah. man. Good man. Didn't do his own contact juggling though. It was a hand behind him. Yeah. Um, it's true fraud which you would know if you ever listened to prior ep if you listen to the prior episodes of this podcast because i think we've brought that up before have we brought up the concept <laughs> that's a very specific thing to bring up before um but i'm willing to believe we did yeah. and i'm only joking when i i offhandedly just called bowie a fraud um, <laughs> respect man was was very talented that sounded condescending <laughs> i didn't mean it as such big fan of bowie uh, yeah. but anyway um Flight of the Navigator, Last Starfighter, uh, Labyrinth, different film, different genres, but but always a kind of central coming of age thing, and no fucking pastiche, no parody, no no taking the Mickey, no no making fun. It it was what it was. It was very surface level, like you said. It didn't really make people think. Um, it wasn't their intent, which is is fine. It just that wasn't what they were there for. It was it was pure escapism. Um, it was a simpler time. Uh, it was people trying to get away from, you know, the, the overhang and the last vestiges of the Cold War. Well, yeah, I mean, there, it's, it's I have really no basis weird. for what I just said there. But I no, just I think, but I think you are, you are right about that to some extent in that I, it, I was very young, even as the cold war was ending right you know mm. i do remember when the berlin wall came down i have some memories of what life was it, like yeah. before that and you know so i i mean it's nothing compared to my father who was you know being taught duck and cover in school and 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 having to sort of all always have this thing hanging over you but i i do think that that was very valid uh in terms of assessment of the period and what uh entertainment and film were were doing uh functionally in society and now that that's passed uh maybe maybe the door opened up for us to spend more time being self-critical and analyzing our shit 
yeah. and being ironic and cynical. If, uh, if Kroll were made today, Michael Bay would do it. It would be full of explosions and blood. Kroll in the 80s was charming and, 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 and simpler time. <laughs> You won't get crawl again, Conrad. No. No, you won't you won't get crawl again. You won't get Dark Crystal anymore. It'll be like Dark Crystal Pepsi. It'll be all fucking brand names and NASCAR and cigarettes. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to remake Dark Crystal. They though. would, they would. And it'd be full of they, the the Gelfling guy, whose name I forget, uh, would have uh, an Apple iPod because he, it's appealing to the millennials. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I realise I, I am technically a millennial, but <laughs> fuck them. They didn't... They don't understand Kroll. So, uh, yeah. Um, Last Starfighter, sci-fi, escapism, fun time. And, you know, I I had fond memories of it going into this. I mean, they were they were loose associations and I clearly barely remembered it. But I had a, a fond recollection of it as a thing, at least. Mm -hmm. uh, that's about as far as it goes. Um, but, you know, it's... Uh, I guess, should we talk about the connection to video games? I mean, it is really just pretty simple. But it's interesting because it's been uh, parodied over the years in, in several uh, Oh, yeah, I mean, it's a, and... it's a famous trope, even, despite not actually being in that many media. The right. jokes about it are more prevalent than the actual plot. Um, which is kind of remarkable, I think, um, because this one did it sincerely, and every other time I've ever seen it, it's been a joke. Yep. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the 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 plot basically spins off from video games. Yeah, it's it's a a kid plays a video game so well that uh, he's winds up on this adventure when it, 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 you come to find out that the video game was being used by a test for an alien race. I mean, it's very Ender's Gamey um, kind of thing, but yeah, that's that's basically the premise. But the, the, the use of a video game as a test thing, it was an interesting concept. Uh, it was at a time when the home video game uh, crash had happened and, and people, you know, people who still were interested in video games were playing arcade games. And, um, and so that's an it was interesting timing for the release. And I have to wonder how much of the uh, lack of seeing video games in films, how much that has to do with the home console crash and the impact of that industry mm. uh, on, on, you know, on years that followed. Because uh, you know, they, they start peppering in in the 80s a bit. And you know, obviously Nintendo was pushing for that with the wizard and so forth. And it, 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 Super Mario Brothers was such a cultural phenomenon that was unavoidable that that would come up but um but it took some time yeah yeah and i, I, don't, I don't know if that if there was a relationship there but so yeah it's the this arcade game being used as test thing uh, i think my favorite time seeing it used in something else was uh there was an animated series based on clerks which is not good like not recommended viewing but makes me laugh <laughs> I have things like that, that I watch them and I laugh at them and I'm glad that somebody gave somebody else money to make that thing. Oh, in the same way, there's a British show called Bo Select that I wouldn't recommend anyone watch. It's offensive and horrible and crass and 
not funny, but but I have this odd fondness for it. Right. So it's that sort of thing. But uh, but Clerks the animated series did this in a way that uh, Randall was was playing a video game that he used to play in high school, and it was uh, centered around. Uh, ancient Egypt and building the pyramids and you were a slave pushing blocks and uh, you had to avoid the guy behind you being whipped and he played it so well he broke the record and he gets abducted by an alien race to to do this thing or he, he you know gets called upon as the chosen one and it's to push blocks and build pyramids <laughs> 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 it just made me laugh that is good <sighs> but, yeah I would imagine the plot of The Last Starfighter is something people have seen more parodies of than I would say our listeners have probably seen a lot of parodies of it and, and yet the ratio yeah, the ratio of those who have seen the movie to those who have just seen mockeries of it or plays on it uh, probably uh, are in that ratio of, of having not um, that's a very awkward way to say what I wanted to say. Um, not really on the ball. So I think we should just get yeah, into let's the film. Get into it. Yeah. The Last Starfighter, 1984. It's the year I was born. Wow. Following a credit sequence which leads us from a distant planet. And Fact! A... Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> like. I couldn't think of a good replacement for the trumpet, so I just shouted fact. Why not? Yeah, that works. It's that works. straight, it's to the point. Yeah, that works. Okay. Now, long-term listeners, all three of you will know <laughs> that I do facts provided by Amazon. Amazon's X-Ray feature. It has a name that I mouse over when I'm watching the films in my browser, and it gives you little fun facts about the film. And I haven't got that many this week, so don't worry. I've got one, two, three, four. I got four facts, and unlike some of Amazon's offerings, three of them are quite interesting. Hmm. So that's pretty good. That we don't often have that. Like, yeah, like seventy-five percent. That's a good record for Amazon. Seventy-five percent relevant and worthwhile. So we'll start off with the first one, which is the first one they offered, um, the Last Starfighter. And this is this interested me. It was the first movie ever to do all of its special effects, barring uh, tangible things like explosions and makeup, on a computer. Yes. The very first computer-generated uh, all-special-effects film. They used the Cray XMP computer, for any of you uh, spots who are interested in that sort of thing. Cray XMP. So, the, that's uh, fun. Wiki, the Wikipedia page for the movie has a fantastic photo of someone working on one of the scenes on that computer. And it's it's pretty cool. Uh, so if you have a moment, you should go check that out. Go check that out. Um, um, but that's good. I will also say, just before we get proper into it, the computer effects in this film are better than some of the other more contemporary film special effects I've seen. It is. The CGI in this, because they keep it simple, and there's mm -hmm. not a lot of animation because it's mostly spaceships that they, they render, yeah. it's clearly computery. Like, they, they look like they're in bad video games, but they don't look as glaringly awkward and clumsy and horrible as something like the lizard in Mortal Kombat. Well, and there are a couple of, of really smart things that they do with the computer effects in the film to make them feel more realistic like the um the video game that is going to be introduced here uh it looks way better than any video game should have 
Yep. But it doesn't look nearly as good as the CG in the space flight action sequences. And so that's kind of critical. You know, mm-hmm. they don't try to emulate it too closely, and, and but you can still notice a, a significant difference between the game and what's quote-unquote real life. But also the way in which they use uh, tangibles. Uh, like, um, there's a car in the film that, uh, uh, the star car, it's sort of a transit vehicle. And uh, they CG the hell out of that when it's flying around doing stuff in space. But they also have a physical car, and they made that physical car's design streamlined and smooth enough that it they could achieve a very, very similar-looking result in motion yeah, uh, in yeah, just digitally. Sort of take the textures out of it, mm-hmm. make it very shiny and then, as you say, smooth, and then it looks better in CGI. It's the kind of stuff that people these days taken for granted with their MTV and their soda pop that they don't consider that sort of thing. And that's why Reptile looked shit in Mortal Kombat. If, yeah. if, they'd, if they'd shown a real lizard and filed its scales down and polished it so it was all shiny and smooth, then then you'd, you'd believe the Reptile oh, yeah. character. But they didn't. No. They didn't. Right. <clears throat> Sorry, back to the plot. Right, Where were so, we? Or you mean, you mean back to the, the very first sentence of Yes. All right. So uh, this credit sequence, we travel from a distant planet through our solar system to the Earth. And the start of the day in this inexplicably cheery trailer park community. It was, yeah, very cheerful. They all, they all love each other. Everyone, yeah. It's like a commune, like a cult. Yeah. Like, there's this real creepy vibe. And I don't, like, if if you had never seen a trailer park before and you saw this, your perception of what trailer parks were like would be so dramatically different from the reality in all but what I am sure is, you know, not a cult scenario. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, there's something very communal about the whole thing like you know alex is the one who fixes the electrician like the electrical stuff and um well and and you know otis runs the convenience store otis does the convenience store and and all of these people and i mean it's sort of it's it's demonstrated right here in the very beginning because elvira who's one of the elderly residents and the vast like everybody here except for our protagonist um the love interest and and even the mother of the protagonist, like that family unit, everybody else in this is old, very like, old, yeah. Like if not decrepit, almost there. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of interesting. But they've all sort of banded together, and and Elvira is complaining that her power is out, and they are person by person just sort of shouting this message along the chain, so that it can get to the manager's office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, commu- yeah, like they don't even have phones, right? So they use each other as this kind of communal telegraph system. Um, it's very creepy. It's like they share a gestalt mind or something. It's it's a very weird. It's a film that's basically um, for its time, uh, really trying to help leverage the Red Menace's influence over America. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, a young woman named Maggie passes through. She's got a cooler and a towel, and she pauses to kiss her grandmother on her way to the manager's trailer, 
where uh, she speaks with, and we're introduced to Jane Rogan, uh, and uh, Maggie's asking about the whereabouts of Jane's son, Alex, um, and as she sort of scoots around in search of a picnic basket or something, uh, Maggie takes a shot from the dart gun of Lewis, who we're introduced to as the younger of the two Rogan children, and he's playing Spaceman. And it's this whole, like, it's not a single-shot type scene but like that's how aaron sorkin would have shot this entire yeah. sequence it's got the feel of a single shot scene because it, it really kind of follows it, it starts from up at the convenience store goes all the way down to um it tracks to maggie the and then it trailer. tracks on maggie until it hits lewis and then it tracks lewis as he sort he of goes, goes around kind past, of back up to the convenience store right yeah past otis's place and, and he sh- pops one off and shoots otis for no reason with the dart gun again otis's dog has weird elbows Yes, he does. It freaked yeah. me out. I meant, I meant to actually put something in about that. because They're all like fleshy and bits fl- flopping off. Ugh. Yeah, it's like he's got uh, uh, like uh, skin flaps on the, on the elbow. I don't like it. It is gross. I uh, love dogs. Yeah. That, that's a gross-ass dog. And, and so Lewis comes, you know, past Otis's little trailer into the convenience store and... Uh, and finds his brother uh, playing on an arcade machine, which is called Starfighter. This is Alex. And uh, shortly thereafter, this truck pulls up full of young people. And that's just how I'm going to refer to them, basically, from here on out. The Uh, millennials of the 80s. That's what young people in the 80s were. (laughs) So Alex passes his game off to his little brother Lewis, so he can fact. Okay, I got a fact for you. This is these are coming quick. Yeah, we're already fifty percent of the way into facts. Amazon kind of gave up halfway through. (laughs) Uh, There were some continuity things pointed in, and and to be honest, I forgot to mouse over them as well for a lot of it. Yeah, that can happen. Um, But I did, uh, I did get these. This this is another pretty good one, I think. Um, Atari, and we were talking about the video game Crash and whatnot, Atari actually made the last Starfighter video games. Yes. They made tie-in last Starfighter games for the 5200 Super System and the 400 and 800 series computers. They never made them, uh, but they did get past prototype phases, and there are some copies out there. Yeah. Uh, of course, they were nothing like the game in the film, because as you quite rightly mentioned earlier, the 3D graphics that were shown in the arcade cabinet were not possible for video games at the time. So they didn't really look anything like that. Uh, that said, there is rumours that once an arcade cabinet of Starfighter existed, um, they built one, but it has since been lost to time. And there's no confirmation that it was ever genuinely real, at least according to Amazon, and they should know. Um, and the last bit about that is an Atari 2600 game uh, called Solaris, which you may have heard of, uh, was repurposed from... Their, their attempts to tie in Starfighter. Uh, and uh, that's not the only uh, example of repurposing because I think the PC versions uh, were repurposed into Star Raiders 2. Where the hell were you on that one, Amazon? Why am I just now hearing this from Conrad? <laughs> why, why is why has he become Ammo Zimmon? <laughs> Zimmon. Amazon, you, you, you fucked me up. You fucked me up in the trash. Uh, now, the, 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 uh, according to the Wikipedia page for The Last Starfighter, the arcade version um, was cancelled 
because the sale price uh, on it was going to be ten thousand dollars. <laughs> Uh, which that's the, actually not a bad price for an arcade machine. It's, now. it's not terrible. I mean, it's it's you gotta keep in mind it is ten thousand dollars in nineteen eighty three money. Oh, that's yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, obviously. Yeah. So there is a there's there's a bit, but still, even even so, I mean, it could have. That doesn't shock me too much, um, but uh, it was considered to be too high a price. And yeah, well, Atari didn't expensive. have much money. Yeah. So anyway, um, yes. Okay. Yeah. Moving on, uh, so Alex uh, leaves his game of Starfighter off uh, to Lewis, so he's going to join Maggie and the young people on a trip to the lake, but before he hops into the back of the truck, and this is his fucking mistake, Alex stops to check the mail. Uh, classic mistake. Yeah, if he'd just gotten into the truck, he'd been gone. Yep, but, nothing uh, could have done about it. You know, Maggie asks if... It has arrived yet, reinforcing the idea that Alex may be waiting for some specific correspondence and hence his sense of urgency to check the mail. And the other youths begin teasing Alex about his ambition. Uh, And he sneers at their willingness to accept a city college education and drunken good times. So he's a bit of an elitist fuck. Um, Jane calls out to Alex, asking him to come and fix Elvira's power because the message had finally arrived with her. And his responsibilities have once again ruined a good day of fun times. Sad Alex. Yeah. Let uh, his Mag- girlfriend down. Yep. Now, Maggie does offer to stay. But, you know, he's one of those self-loathing, you know, people and says no. But, you know, he's still going to feel bitter about her going off and having a good time despite the fact that he didn't say anything. Kind of a dick. Uh, and his buddies waste no time in making him eat dust. And they go off on their way. And sometime later... A dejected Alex returns to his trailer and stares at a, a mobile of a solar system. He's probably, you know, a little too old to have in his room. Probably, probably, but it was a simpler time. Well, and he shares he shares a room with his little brother, so I guess it's understandable. Yeah, he shares a, he shares a room with his very young brother. <laughs> very and young. And his very young brother's Playboy collection. <laughs> yeah, Lewis, Alex it should be pointed one. out, Lewis looks to be about, like, eight or nine years old, I would say. Yeah, does that seem he, right to you? He, he's, I would say about eight or nine. He, I believe, drops the only swear in the film. Yes, he he drops an S bomb, and he's the only one, only character to do it. And he also is has a stack of Playboys that the older teen brother doesn't seem to have, but knows about the existence of. Oh yeah, knows about it because later in the film he uh, threatens to tell mum about them. So he's keeping his his. He's keeping his nine-year-old... I'll be generous and go the higher of the two. He's keeping his nine-year-old brother's pornographic secret. It was a simpler time. You know, but for, for such a simpler time, this is a very complex character. Like, the psychological implications of this... You could really unpack a lot oh yeah the i mean again if i've got a guess age i will put uh the main character at about 18 yeah That's yeah unfair. yeah well he's, he's trying to get into college so yeah. he's probably 17 or 18 17 18 um i'll be generous and give him the lower so we've got basically this family set up is the child's space-time mobile is for 17 year olds the pornography 
is for eight-year-olds. Sorry, nine-year-olds, we're being generous. Um, so that's the dynamic we're living at within this cult-slash-commune framework. <laughs> it's no wonder he plays video games all day. I would too. That's just a sad place to live. So Alex is... But they're so happy. Everyone there is so happy except is him. forced to be. <laughs> like, he's the only one who's not drinking the Kool-Aid. Oh, good times. Good times. Good so he's, he's times. sitting in his trailer and he's staring at this mobile and he's dreaming of new experiences. If I'm going to try and imagine what's going on in his head as he looks at this thing and he hears the conversation of some of the neighborhood men outside talking about playing cards and he's able to mouth along with it, suggesting that, you know, he has heard this conversation many, many times before, and that there are no new experiences for him to have at the Starlight Starbright trailer park. Even the name sounds like a cult. <laughs> We're the children of the Starlight Starbright. <coughs> We're going to die together. Otis is... I think Otis is the leader. Oh, I, there's no doubt about it. And no doubt about it. You because in the next scene here we see Ode, uh, we see Alex he's soothing his soul with some more Starfighter arcade game, and wise old Otis comes out to clean up the patio outside the convenience store, and yeah. Alex starts complaining about his sorry situation and you know about how he doesn't get to have any fun, and Otis like immediately starts dropping folksy wi wisdom on him. And saying that his time will come and he just needs to be prepared and to hold on to it when it arrives. Yeah. And then the truck from earlier pulls up and Maggie gets out, having abandoned the rest of her friends when Alex didn't join them at the lake. And they, they have this awkward conversation about him, like, being suspicious of the guy who owns the truck. Yeah, that plot point doesn't really go anywhere after this, but they do set it up. Right, well, because, it, you know, well, we do later see the other guy again, and he's got a girlfriend, and there's stuff, I don't know, it's just weird. It's just a weird thing to bring up, and not necessary, but it's just, it's fine, because eventually the conversation is just, like, dropped entirely, and, you know, she sees his score on the game, and, uh, and he's, it's interesting, because he is having this conversation. You know, and stopping and looking at her and, like, being engaged. Like, he's he's active listening, right? This he's, is why he's so fucking good at the game. Right, exactly, because he's still kicking ass in the game, despite the fact he's spending more time not looking at it than looking yeah. at it. Like, I can't do videos, clearly, if you've seen my YouTube channel. I can't talk and play games at the same time, right. even though I try and make money doing that. Um, so him, I mean, he truly is the last Starfighter. As Otis, like, perks up. He'd been sitting there smoking his pipe, and, and he goes and checks for himself, and he sees that it's over 900,000 points, and decides that everyone in the trailer park needs to bear witness to this. Yes, all of the very old people needs to come and watch this video game. They are play. invested enough in Alex's quest to score really high in this yeah. video game. I mean, to be fair, it's probably the most exciting thing that's ever happened on that trailer park, literally ever. Um, but it is interesting. Like, I half expected, and this is this is why this was a simpler time, um, when Otis at first is yelling, and, oh, he's got 900,000 points, you all got to come see this. He's going to go in for the record. And then it c cuts to those old men looking up. My mind 
I was thinking, right, now they're going to look down again and not bother getting up, and that'll be a fun joke for the film. Right, but no, they yeah. get up and, and go over, and everyone gathers around excited because, again, the sincerity of the 80s, there was no cynicism ever. It wasn't invented until 1992 with cynicism. <laughs> you know, probably Tori Amos or someone came up with it. And so they all care. There's no, you know joke about how these Olgians don't give a fuck about this meaningless accomplishment. It means something because it was the 80s, and that's why we have Krull. <laughs> I'm off my soapbox now. Uh, so, he, uh, yeah, the whole community... Unbelievably, Otis is right, and the whole community comes and watches Alex. <laughs> he bet big and, and, and <laughs> took home the winnings on that one. I just not one person rolls their eyes or <laughs> or says whatever you know or does the thing where they just sort of wave it off with their hand. Yes. I not nobody. Everybody comes again. Modern remake of the last Starfighter. That scene would be Otis yelling and everyone ignoring him. And yes, it would be funny. And yes, it's what should have happened in the film. <laughs> but that's not the point. The point is, this was the age of Corey Feldman. This is when he was at his peak. And this is so charming slash creepy slash odd viewed in retrospect Mm. that I'm glad it's this way. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very anachronistic now, looking at it through modern eyes. But back then, again, this idea of everyone gathered around and caring about whatever the plot is, it was normal. So Alex breaks the record by winning the boss fight in the video game, and everybody cheers, right? Yeah. And yeah. later... Which speaks to me of bad game design. The, <laughs> the world record is just beating the game. Well, later, after the party breaks up, and it seems like it has the feel of a party went on after he won this record. <laughs> it does. Because he's sitting here on the bench, and he's got his arm around Maggie, and they're you know, yeah. relaxed, and then these other people that are, you know, other older people that are all walking away, like they're all leaving this get-together. But there's a, a like a slow it's, fade cut It's probably that... why none of them can afford to move out of the trailer park. It's probably why there's this long-running thing about no one ever leaves, no one ever betters themselves. Because they have, they spend all their money on parties the moment mundane accomplishments happen in life. <laughs> Alvira took a shit, there was no blood in it this time. Party! There... All of our money on beer and ecstasy, which is not been invented yet. It was invented by Tori Amos in 1992. Well, they're all, with the exception of of Alex's mother, it seems, who has two jobs serving as the manager of the trailer park and working at a diner. Um, everybody else is retirement age here. Or, too, or a teenager, or too young to work. Yeah, there's nothing in between. So they have no like the upward mobility overnight. in this community. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's, and I think that that's really what this speaks to. Is this speaks about youthful ambition and wanting to make something of yourself and not, you know, live amongst an environment that's just going to slowly rot. Yeah, and this was a, a time period before we realized that the whole of the United States was... The sunshine, right. bright shine, moonshine diner trailer park. Right. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, we had know. this. Uh, we had this thing called. Um, I want. Hmm, it's four letter word. Hmm, can't. Hope. 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 Yes. You know. I remember. I remember. 
My hands! So old and withered now! <laughs> oh, yeah, um... But yeah, it does, like it feels like they they threw a party. Like there is a fade out and a fade into the next scene that makes like, to indicate a passage of time that's significant. And they're sitting there, sitting there on the bench with Alex and Maggie, and they wave to people that are leaving. And Maggie's looking all pensive, mm-hmm. and she just sort of pecks him on the face and then gets up and leaves abruptly because she's upset that Alex has made this decision that he's going to leave soon. And Alex is all confusion because he's like, girl, I thought we talked about this. Like, and she was like, no English. They were going, he was going to leave the trailer park and then come get her. And, you know, and then he accuses her of being just afraid to leave. But the issues quickly swept aside under platitudes and they kiss and Alex's younger brother and mother both surreptitiously observe it with different but equal discontent. Like they're both seemingly like i didn't want to see this but for seemingly they have still different reactions to not wanting to see it and it's weird yeah um alex steps into the trailer and he gives his mother the big news about his record-breaking run in starfighter but unlike everybody else that he knows she seems unenthused about this and it's because... Either the worst mother ever or the best mother ever. Right? Yeah, Starts I know. She's itself. either the only one that's got her fucking head on straight and giving this the level of excitement that it probably deserves. Or or she just sucks. Like, I'm not sure yeah. which way to go on that. She's, she's, she's like the least supportive mother ever if this is the world where video game scores matter to Olgians. Well, so... It's, she has bad news, though. That's the thing. She does that's, have bad news. That's fair. She's upset about having to tell him about this piece of mail that was delivered to the diner that she works at because the postman knew it was so important that, you know, Alex would want to get it. So rather than deliver it to where Alex lives, he <laughs> delivered it to where Alex's mother's work in what I Before suspect... she got there as well, like, because he checked the mail while the well, mother was still at the fucking trailer park like why did the trailer park was clearly on the way to the diner alex is right there playing starfighter near the post boxes who is this mailman that's fucking with the heads of the people who live at this trailer park like well i mean i think that it's possible that two people here are implicated in a federal offense that the, is true. The postman who delivered mail to an address other than the one he was directed, and the mother who opened the mail, who was, which was addressed to her son. Now, that's not your mail, federal offenders. As as, I'm not sure. It depends on how old Alex is. If he's 18, he's no longer a minor, and and therefore his mother's no longer his legal guardian. Uh, so if he's under the age of 18 still, she might be okay on that. Like, she might be. But I, you know, without all the evidence, I wouldn't want to yeah. render it's a judgment. It's still not on. No, no, it's not cool. You, I'd have been fucking offended. If what you, if, if you, what if, if it was Lewis's Playboys, like the, the latest issue coming in? Yeah, uh, and it's pr- and it's brown paper uh, envelope, and yeah. the postman knows how important it is and delivers it to the diner. I bet they don't fuck with Lewis's mother. <laughs> Probably not. Since I bet, I bet weird Lewis goes just reversal. buys his from Otis. Yeah, yeah. Otis he, probably has Otis a small hands him the step ladder to get him up to the top shelf. Yeah, yeah. 
It's an open secret. So... Lewis knows everyone knows, but it only works for him if he feels like it's a secret. <laughs> the nine-year-old prepubescent. Don't bring that up. That ruins that 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 turns that turns an innocent joke into something sleazy. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> because half half a minute ago, Conrad was simpler times, <laughs> and you came in here and Tori Amos it up. <laughs> Oh, this is my favorite podcast we've done. <laughs> so the the that's not the federal offense isn't the bad news. The letter <laughs> informs Alex that his college loan application was denied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, which you want to say simpler time. Yeah, but you know, good luck trying to get a college loan from a bank right now. Yeah, good, good luck. luck trying to be allowed near a bank or a college now. They hit you with billy clubs and send you back in. So anyway, <laughs> sorry, a moment of silence there for yeah, the sad for everyone who's suffering. <laughs> well, angrily, Alex, I'm sorry. You made me laugh so hard that I had, like tears <laughs> coming from my eyes, and I'm sniffly. Oh, oh, disgusting! I'm disgusting. Oh no, little sniffly Conrad! I'm like a little forest creature. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, it's like like. The mustache is badass, right? Until yeah. until you start getting the glisten of snot Matter, in it. And, yeah. and then you're like, oh my god, who is this? Like, you can't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be a drug user and have a mustache. Mm-mm. Bad, bad call. Bad look Mm-mm. for a drug user. Don't use drugs and have a mustache. Yeah, that's the main message I've always wanted. In, I'm not saying don't, don't use drugs. Just, and I'm just... not saying don't have a mustache. One or the other. Right. You gotta, you gotta choose your vice. So uh, angrily, Alex runs outside of his trailer and goes and stands underneath the starlight, starbright sign, and and you know, in this sort of symbolic moment of how he's trapped underneath it and burdens oh so very much, he crumples it up and throws it at the sign, and it bounces off. And yeah, fuck you, sign. Fuck you, sign. And uh, and as he considers. The, his fate and the tragedy of his situation leaning on the sign, he sees the uh, starfighter machine start flashing, and he pauses to look at that and, you know, sort of takes a couple of steps closer to it. You know, not going all the way over to it. He's not that interested. Like, what's the machine going to do to you? Why wouldn't you just yeah. go over and look at it? You've, you've played it a thousand times. Yeah. Like then it's... again, I wouldn't trust anything. My mother's opening my mail. <laughs> and then this, uh, like, he's staring at the machine and doesn't notice this, um, like, it's like a stretch DeLorean, this car, mm-hmm. is what it, what it Fact! is. Fact! Centauri's star car is based on a DeLorean. Carry on, Conrad. Oh, was it? Yeah. Hey! There you go. I feel good about that. I, I was mean... waiting for you to say the words, the word DeLorean. Before I delivered my fact, because I knew you would say it. Yeah, that's, that's you know, doing this. Yeah, doing it was this. actually going to be funnier because I was expecting you to say it was based on a DeLorean. I and did. then I would do my facts and it would be like this, you know, redundant fact because you just said it. But yeah, I didn't instead know. I taught you a thing. Yes, see, now that's that's way more valuable than that entertainment was my one for our audience. One. 
So uh, the, the driver of this vehicle calls out, opening the uh, rear door, and asks for the name of the person who broke the record on the game. And Alex identifies himself as such. And this doesn't seem that odd. Right? Is it yeah. just me? No, no, perfectly normal. Right? Yeah, not odd. You, you break, break a record on a video game, someone comes by to, to say something to you about it? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it happens all the time. Every time I break a record in a video game, it still happens. I get weird old men turning up in, in reconstituted DeLoreans with some Christmas lights glued onto them, and, and we have a conversation. Well, the driver introduces himself as Centauri, uh, as the inventor of Starfighter, and invites Alex into the back of the car to talk. And yeah. in the back, you know, and Alex, of course, because like you, did, like you would. I mean, I, I always get into the back of the car. Every time it happens to me. Yeah. Well, he's from a small community. Too much trust. Open doors. No one locks their doors at it night. It was a simpler time. A simpler times, everyone was getting into the backs of DeLoreans. Well, and this was, you know, I mean, Stranger Danger hadn't really, I think, caught on yet. No, that was that was brought into sort of the early 90s uh, well, by Tori Amos. I just watched a fascinating... <laughs> All right, I'm not even going to go down that road then. Um... <laughs> Fair, fair enough. Um, but Alex gets into the back of the car, and in the other seat is this other figure that's cloaked in shadow, which uh, Centauri introduces as Beta. And yep. when Alex shakes Beta's hand, these sparks fly, and then Beta just like, like later, just yep. pops out of the car. Slight continuity error here. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at the at Beta, it's very clear he's got a face. Yes has a human face, which later on you realize shouldn't be at this point. <coughs> well, we, yeah. don't get in, we don't get to see any features of that face, though. So, yeah, I mean... Amazon said it was a continuity error. Oh, okay. Well, Just because just I All didn't right. shout fact or yeah. do a trumpet. We, we, if, if that's coming from Amazon, I bow to the authority. Yeah, I'm still... Every now and then I might sneak in a little observation that did come via Amazon, but I've not given it quite the the, the pedestal sure. that you expect. Sure. Because I just want to, you know, just drop a little nug of fact there. Just a little nugget. Just a little, like, nug for your soup. Interesting that they didn't immediately say something about Centauri, um, who is uh, played by um, uh, Robert Preston, which uh, he's... He, He's best known um, as the guy who was the lead in The Music Man, which I don't know if you've ever seen that. Old film, in it? Yeah, 1962, I think. Nah, I didn't watch films before the 80s. Well, River City Ransom, I would suspect, owes a debt to that movie because of the uh, song that is most associated with Robert Preston. Like, this character that he plays in this is in a lot of ways a nod to the character he plays in The Music Man. In The Music Man, he plays a uh, traveling salesman who comes to a small town and drums up fears about um, uh, the youth having too much free time in order to sell band instruments and create a town band and make money. And, oh. Yeah. Oh, so they pretty much just copied the plot verbatim for The Last Starfighter. Well, yeah, I mean, there's, yes, the, in terms of this character, he is very much a swindler in the same, you know, they use different means 
Um, no, they use the exact means because this is just before he hands that tuba over to Alex. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I saw the Music Man in school at some point. I was in a <laughs> drama class or something, and they showed it to me. And it has like it made such an impression on me. Robert Preston in particular did because of this song uh, called "You Got Trouble," which is where he's starting to hype the town up into this puritanical frenzy. Um, you got trouble, my friend, right here. I say trouble right here in River City, and he's uh, complaining about how the billiard hall got a pool table, and kids are just going to hang out playing pool, and follow down this slippery slope into gambling and it sounds like every complaint about rock music mm. that you'd ever hear you know kids are gonna go to concerts and and start smoking cigarettes and then they're gonna switch you know gonna start smoking weed and getting hard drugs and it's just this long progression into uh the degradation of society uh anyway robert preston's amazing he's good in this this is the last movie he does i believe um and Really watch The Music Man, is what I'm saying. <laughs> it's so good. I love 1960s musicals, mm-hmm. and that's one of my favorites. And there you go. So It's a recommendation for another film, there. Yeah, there you go. So, I, yeah, I've gone on too long about it. The Music it. Man. Centauri uh, praises Alex's skill at Starfighter while speaking in the third person. You know, keeps referring to himself as Centauri throughout the film. And uh, he says he has a proposition for Alex. And when Alex really just goes so far as to express interest in the proposition, the car door closes and Centauri just drives off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he kidnaps him. Yeah. And he explains on the drive that the arcade machine was misdelivered, having been intended for Las Vegas, and that it must be fate which led Alex to him. Well, he says, first of all, he says, it must be destiny, must be fate, must be blind luck, must be chance, as if they're all the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I'll hand wave it and say he's an alien, doesn't understand terminology, but uh, someone ought to sit him down and say, Centauri, right, right. Luck and destiny are like the opposite things. <laughs> it, can't, it can't be a preordained, like, fatalistic situation and also the result of blind chance. It doesn't work that way. As Unless they're... we're talking about possible futures, <laughs> in which case um, there are preordained paths, but certain choices and certain accidents can ha- can occur within that timeline that sets the track from one to another. This is something that um, uh, Forlom was trying to learn from Zuckus the Gand, um, two of the bounty hunters that appeared in Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back, um, where they could use the Force, the, 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 the Gands, to see possible futures. And... Forlom, despite being a protocol droid, wanted to have that ability itself and would go on to become uh, quite a prosperous bounty hunter in the process. Sideshow Collectibles has a Forlom um, premium format figure available for purchase now. <laughs> have you been shopping again? No, no, no. I, 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 I will buy the Forlom at some point. <laughs> I don't know if I'll get it before IG-88. But if if a if a Zuckus turns up b- before then, then I'm sold. So Centauri drives past a police car, and the there are 
two sleeping cops in the front and the radar detector indicates that they're traveling at a rather unsafe 303 miles per hour. Um, and Centauri taunts Alex with the fact that Alex wants to know what the proposition is and then nearly drives through a barrier. It's not clear whether the road's closed or just like doesn't exist beyond that barrier. And it doesn't really matter because the car transforms into a spaceship and flies off into space. I don't know why I found that funny. Yeah, I watched the film and it wasn't that funny. No. It's just what happens. Yeah, yeah. But it is our so, first, like, yeah. real, like, uh, transition from physical to computer-generated. Gra- and it's pretty successful. Yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I gotta say. Yeah. I think before then, we'd had, obviously, the, the arcade cabinet graphics and the planets at the beginning. But this was the first proper sci-fi special effect. Yep. And did it well, I think. Yeah, not bad. So, in space... Alex watches as Centauri, like, removes his face and polishes some sort of fake eye apparatus. He does this thing with the handkerchief. He covers his face to remove it. And when Alex knocks on the glass dividing them, uh, Centauri turns to face, and he's got this more ovoid, you know, face with less prominent features and red eyes. He looks jacked up. Yeah. Uh, but after cleaning his face, Centauri puts it back on and, and contacts a, a base for docking and car maneuvers into dock, after which Centauri just bolts, leaving Alex alone and totally fucking confused. And another alien with male pattern baldness indicates through gestures that Alex is to follow her, but he can't understand the language, so she's just sort of like hand-waving and making noises. And uh, he's led into this narrow corridor with a conveyor that carries him to a quartermaster who starts supplying with a flight suit. And then another of the balding aliens observes him with this sort of expression of shock and calls out to someone. And that winds up being Centauri, and they have this argument over what looks like money. But Centauri waves it off in Alex's respect as, it, you know, this guy just welcoming in a Rylon. And, you know, it's this very clear, like, all right, this dude's shifty as fuck moment. Um, and Alex, or it's Rylos, uh, and Alex recognizes the name of the planet as being the one from the Starfighter video game. He's like, oh my god! Uh, back on Earth, little brother Lewis is rifling through his collection of Playboys. Yeah. And, uh, Maggie comes by as he's, you know, like, centerfold staring, basically. Yeah. Like, you'd think, at this point, at this point in the film, you're thinking that naughty Lewis, going through his older... Maturing Brothers Pornography Stash. That's what you're thinking at this point in the film. Yeah, but but Maggie comes in and just doesn't... Like, he doesn't make any effort to hide it, I don't think, does he? That's because it's his pornography. (laughs) And we don't know that yet. We will be told that later in the film. But apparently, like I said earlier, open secret. Everyone knows the nine-year-olds prowling on Pornog. Look, I just, I can't... I, I, I want to believe he does try to hide it because Maggie doesn't react to it either. When she comes in momentarily to make Alex feel better about the loan rejection. Maybe he'd already put it away at that point. We, I don't we know. can only speculate. I can't remember now. But uh, anyway. If you're interested, um, I do have a Yahoo group um, <laughs> that's dedicated to fan theories about what Lewis did with his <laughs> pornog in that scene. Um if you want to join, then just just shoot me shoot me an invite request and join in. We've got lots of working theories, a lot of red string being used. 
so Maggie does try to make Alex feel better about the loan rejection, but he just sort of, you know, moans in response and she leaves. And he's just like, you know, lying under the blankets and like, and after Maggie leaves, uh, the, that's because, you know, the, the thing that they think is Alex pulls the covers off and it's like some kind of gooey robot thing. Yeah, it's kind of like a robot growing skin, I think is supposed to be the implication yeah. there. Yeah, that's, I think, what you're supposed to take away from it. On Rylos, Alex tries to come to terms with the reality of being surrounded by video game assets. And he's given a translator device, which allows him to understand the aliens. Um, and then he's like immediately rushed to this mission briefing, which is populated by a diverse variety of alien races. Like this, there's there's a you know some repeats. You could tell they didn't have the budget of Star Wars. No, no, they didn't. But they, the costumes yeah. are still pretty good. They were pretty decent. I mean, none of them had moving mouths. They no. they fixed that by like just covering a lot of them with hair or tentacles. Right. So it works. Yeah. Um, Ambassador Endurin is the name of this guy who gets up and he's one of these uh, uh, Rylons, I guess, are the ones with the male pattern baldness. Yeah, the Rylons are the yeah, the baldy man. Right. And he, he addresses the starfighters. Um, and Alex interrupts this briefly as he's trying to, you know, find his seat, stepping on the tentacle of uh, another pilot. Um, and then this causes the pilot seating, seated next to him when he finally does sit down to strike up a conversation about the war against Zur in the Kodan Armada, which is dialogue straight from the video game. And Alex recognizes it instantly and, you know, really just hammering home all of the evidence yeah in case you haven't got it yet viewer or in case he's... alex hasn't gotten it yeah. yet like, like which, the video game's real he? he wanted to go to he wanted to go to college in the city or he you know, like he wanted to go to a university yeah yeah that's why he got his loan denied yeah this guy doesn't even know on the uptake. That... They, that's probably it like on the questionnaire when you're applying for a loan it's there's a, a yes no checkbox <laughs> the last starfighter is it real and he checked no the uh, ambassador helpfully explains that in, in ancient times, the Rylons set up an energy barrier called the Great Frontier to protect civilizations within the Star League. But the frontier has been compromised by a traitor and will soon collapse, leaving only the Starfighters a specially selected group of pilots with an unexplained gift that is totally not the Force or anything to defend the Star League from the Kodan. Yeah. Funnily enough, this scene was used as an example in the famous, very famous at this point, Red Letter Media reviews of the Star Wars prequels mm. um, to show good storytelling versus bad storytelling. Uh, this was used as an example of the positive um, to explain how we get all our backstory delivered to us because we're, we're in the shoes of a fish-out-of-water character who's in a brand-new world. Well, and so it's all being explained to him versus the prequels of Star Wars that did a lot of plot points, like the whole Trade Federation stuff, without explaining it to anyone, with characters who already knew what was going on and didn't bother telling us. And it's it's vastly superior in the, in the way it's approached than almost every film that we do because it's not relying on the same form of... Uh, obvious voiceover mm -hmm. or, um, you know, introductory text or, or whatever sort of construct that feels shoehorned in to make sure that we know all the things. This is still the same, it's the same technique in this scene where he's explaining all of it, but it's, 
it it sets it up and explains it quickly and moves on. It gives mm-hmm. you everything that you need. It doesn't. And it's integrated in the film. It's not a preamble. It's right. not some separate entity. Well, it's 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 a lot. It's not a lot like. No, yeah, it is. It's a lot like the Death Star run briefing, in some ways, with you know the addressing the group and everyone. In some there. ways, but it's... then again, that was just explaining the stakes for the sure. climax it wasn't yes. giving the premise of the universe right this 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 does cover significantly more ground yeah um of course it's also coming significantly earlier in the process too but uh, anyway we're meandering yet again this is oh yeah yeah we're, we're... Woo! jesus i said we'll make this one a quick one this way we lied um <laughs> so everyone in the briefing room starts chanting victory or death and Alex starts getting the distinct impression that maybe he is completely over his head. Maybe a little bit. Uh, spotting Centauri, he sort of hops up to try to go talk to him. But instead, he literally runs into a scaly brown dude named Greg. And Alex explains that he's on his way to bail on this whole starfighter thing. Which Greg finds astonishing because apparently all races dream of being one. And, you know, Alex tells him, well, I'm from Earth. We're not at war with anybody. Griggs like, well, something's not right because Earth isn't, like, hasn't even been approached by the Star League. So someone's up to some chicanery. And then when he finds out that Centauri was involved, it all seems to start to make sense to him. Uh, Grigg goes over and confronts Centauri, uh, who is still dealing with the money guy, apparently, uh, and confronts him about recruiting Alex illegally uh, because they're not too draw starfighters from people who are in from planets that are in the league i guess well yeah because because you kind of want a start like your your elite warrior force to not be currently going mad from the revelation (laughs) (laughs) right i mean it it makes sense there's there's a logic behind it um apparently centauri has a history of doing this um because it's there is mentioned an excalibur test Suggesting that perhaps before Centauri had done this and recruited Arthur. <laughs> yeah. It would have to be another person from Earth if they're using the term Excalibur. I mean, I maybe not. but It'd I be just, an I odd colloquialism if they're not. I just don't see any point otherwise, right? So that's kind of curious. How long has that war been going on? <laughs> <clears throat> well, I think the Starfighters are just always sort of keeping their ranks replenish like people die in medieval england was he dropping arcade cabinets <laughs> except well, it was like pull, pull no he dropped he dropped the sword simulator. and the stone it just dropped stones all over the place with swords in him crushed half the human race with him. <laughs> <laughs> who is the real monster it is centauri so centauri is balking at having to return the money he was paid to recruit alex because of all the time he went into in creating marketing and distributing the starfighters video game which god bless it not enough people think about those things no (laughs) he tries to downplay the risk of engaging in space combat but his efforts are subverted by the appearance of a hologram in the briefing room the giant floating head of zur uh, who's, who he happens to, to be the ambassador's son, because that's, you know, an absolutely necessary justification that needed to be included in this. Why do they do that? 
Yeah, it really has no relevance because the Christopher Lee lookalike ambassador goes pretty soon after this. It doesn't come back till the end again. It's, it's, there's no reason to include this bit, but whatever. Um, he's on his way back home with the Kodan Armada and uh, seemingly still pretty pissed off that his cult on Rylos was disbanded by authorities. Uh, so Xur then pointlessly demonstrates his, cur- his cruelty by using a laser to melt a Rylon prisoner's head, uh, showing footage of it on a screen, and then it's really informing them. It's brutal as well. It is. It's pretty, it's kind of gross. There's a drill going in his fucking headpiece. Yeah. Yeah, kind of nasty. And then he informs everybody that the invasion's going to commence once the green moon is eclipsed. So, you know, they have some sort of timeline to work on. Um, Alex has had about enough of this shit. And, and asks Centauri to drive him back to Earth. Meanwhile, at the Great Frontier, Zur is on the bridge of his command ship. I gotta say, I love Zur. Zur is pretty good. He is so, like, just proper, classic, hammy, ineffective villain hated by his subordinate. Like, just the classic. I would say the classic fantasy sci-fi villain. Has, uh shares the objective of the people that despise him necessary for them to accomplish their goals tolerated but his vision is so petty and he's so small-minded yeah like he's leading this proud warrior race of guys who clearly know what they're doing like, one of them has a Dragon Ball Z scouter, so you know he's serious. And I'll put it, here, here, we'll put it in a context that, uh, that, that, that maybe Star Trek nerds might, that might work. Uh, it would be as if a Klingon war party had to be under the command of a Ferengi trader. Yes, yes, very apt. Um, yeah, they openly despise him, and he doesn't like them. And it was hard to to really gauge the relationship because they don't do they adequately explain why he was given command is it just because he knows he's the one who can the weaknesses yeah he's the one who can shut down the barrier yeah that's it but like they give him like he has rank and title that suggests he's honored when he's so clearly not like it's it's an odd relationship he has with the i forget the the race of aliens the kodan the kodan yes thank you um yeah, very odd. Yeah, so the Kodan uh, commander, by the way, I feel very sorry for that actor. <sighs> you can see him wince every time that scouter thing just sort of fl- like like mm-hmm. were like it, it um swings. That's the word. It swings from his helmet over his eye, yes. and it so clearly just smacks him in the eye, and you can see the actor wincing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's uh, it's it, 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 it's what you it's the thing you'd use to determine if something's over nine thousand, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 It's uh, basically looks exactly like them uh, to the point where I don't even know where maybe Dragon Ball Z took it from Except there. Except oddly as a, cheaper. As a thing. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's like a little plastic <laughs> lens that just sort of swings and bonks him in the eyeball. <laughs> it's very funny, but uh, t- taken seriously in the film because it was a simpler time. So the. Uh... This underling comes onto the bridge of the command ship to deliver a scepter to Xur. Uh, and Xur remarks to the Kodan commander on the bridge about how it resembles that of the Kodan emperors. And the commander's all unimpressed about it, because he's like, dude, you're a prick. 
And yeah. it's pretty obvious here that everyone thinks Zer is a joke at this point already, like, instantly. <laughs> That's it. He gets this real, like, badass intro where he's got a that hologram head projection that shows up in the, the, the main good guy's base. And then immediately He looks all undermined. big and Arnold Schwarzenegger-ish, even. Like, yeah. from the way it's shot. You think he's some big, beefy dude. And it cuts. And, like, immediately he is this scrawny, like, wearing this tight leather shit. He looks goofy. Um, and you can just tell, like, he's just spoiled and malicious. So the, really good character. Yeah. Um, then a report comes in that they have successfully breached the frontier. And the Kodan commander issues the order to start firing meteor guns, which are exactly what they sound like. Which I oh, love. Yeah. And, I, you know, I know this has been done in science fiction. This is, the, I think, the earliest movie I, in terms of chronology of release that I can think of that does this where they're just basically firing inert meteor matter as a weapon, using meteors as ammunition in a gun. Yeah. Um, I love it when that's done. I think you work with what you got. Um, and the, uh... I gotta apologize, by the way, if listeners are hearing the fucking neighbor doing their fucking lawn work. Nice. Do it all the time when I'm trying to fucking record. Sorry, carry on. Raw nerve. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh, Zer throws a tantrum about the Kodan commander's order because he's supposed to be the one giving orders because he's the one who told them where the base was and the Emperor put him in charge of the fleet. Yada, yada, yada. And so at the Starfader base, the uh, Rylons start to attempt to defend themselves from incoming meteors and they're manning yeah. little... Because, of course, after Zer told the commander not to give that order, he, he then just gave gives the order, the order anyway. to do it, yeah. Because he's petty. And, but the uh, money grubber who was arguing with Centauri turns out to be a traitor and hides a bomb on a console, which uh, shortly thereafter explodes and disables the repulsor cannons, leaving the base defenseless to the meteor attack. Zer celebrates his victory, but one of the Kodan informs them that one of the starfighters has escaped. Uh, this would, uh, I guess, be Alex. Um, meanwhile, on Earth, Centauri is fixing a star car, which seems to have broken at some point on the way back. It's not really explained. Uh, Alex decides that he could walk the rest of the way home, but before he can leave, Centauri gives him this communicator in case he changes his mind about, you know, like, saving the universe. And Alex protests that he's just some kid from a trailer park, which Centauri says is all he'll ever be if that's going to be his attitude about it. This is the start of what becomes the rest of the film, which is a long, extended, passive-aggressive guilt trip aimed towards Alex. It really is. Delivered by more than one character. This isn't even the start of it. I mean, this is indicative of how everybody in the film treats Alex. Yeah, yeah. From From the very beginning of him having to cancel his plans to go to the lake so that he can fix some old woman's power so she can watch soap operas. I mean, that's her concern, is that she needs to be able to watch her soap operas. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this this is just yet another example, really, in his life. Um, but uh, Centauri gets into the star car and uh, drives away. And in the trailer park, Alex runs into Maggie to tell her all about his adventure, but she slaps him because he said she had strange sexual urges. So stuff's been going on while Alex has been away. Uh, deciding to go to bed, Alex discovers that there's one of him in his bed already. And the other Alex explains that he's a beta unit, an android intended to impersonate Alex while he's away saving the universe. Uh, 
Fact. Do you want to hear my fact? I would love to hear your fact, Jim. Tell me your fact. This is my last one, actually. I thought it was. This is my last one. Um, Most of the scenes with the beta unit, which is the, uh, as Conrad said, the the quasi-robotic replacement for Alex while he's up in space, um, most of his scenes were filmed after the actual film had been made. Yeah, it's Uh, pretty obvious, It tended to have a much smaller role. Uh, but test audiences liked Beta so much, and then the people making the film realised that that gives it a little extra edge over the other fish-out-of-water stories that were popular <laughs> at the time, was to have this sort of comedy of errors with the fake Alex on Earth, um, that they went and filmed a whole bunch of extra scenes. And that's why it looks like Beta is wearing a wig. Because, because he is. Yes, he is wearing a wig, yeah. Because the actor had his hair cut short after the film had wrapped up, realised they needed him back to play the same character, so got a wig of his older hair. And he's wearing it in those scenes. That's why he looks a bit different. And if I'm to be asked, the wig looks good on him, better than his normal hair in that film. <laughs> I think it makes him look like a mannequin. <laughs> but, you know, Whatever. Yeah, uh, unintentional, unintentional um, bit of uncanny valleyism, I guess. I guess. Kind of, it, it gives off the sense that Beta yeah. isn't him, but that wasn't intended by the filmmakers. They just needed the hair. So there, that that is a fun fact. Yes. Fun fact. Mm-hmm. See, I told you, Amazon actually added relevant things. They, to they say did a good stuff. job this time. So uh, the uh, the Beta unit expresses no small measure of shock that Alex is here and not actually out saving the universe. Uh, Meanwhile, outside the convenience store, a hitchhiker is dropped off, and as he passes the Starfighter arcade machine, he pulls out this, like, alien pistol, and the Starfighter machine starts flashing, and that makes the hitchhiker's head start flashing, too, for reasons. Yeah, we never really told why. And it changes from a normal dude's to some bug-eyed alien thing. Now, Alex argues with the Beta unit for a bit longer, waking Lewis, who is told by both Alex and Beta to go back to bed simultaneously in a a hilarious moment, Mm -hmm. um, before attempting to contact Centauri to retrieve Beta. Yeah. Oh, oh, how is it that they keep Lewis quiet? What what threat do they give him there to to keep him quiet? Uh, I believe it's, I will tell mom about your pornos, or about your playboys. That's it. That's it's at that point that we find out that the uh, I believe it is the the child's space mobile is for seventeen year olds, and the pornography in this trailer park, and of course by this film's moral standards, is for nine year olds. So as Alex leaves to get. Centauri to pick up Beta. He's distracted by the Starfighter machine making its random noise again and gets attacked from above the patio roof of the convenience store by the alien after it, like, dribbles some stuff on him. Kind of gross. Yeah, kind of, like, dribble weird weird pebbles on him. Yeah. And Alex okay. escapes and then goes and gets, like, a board with a nail in it, which I love that they're... I love that. That makes me... Every time I see a board with a nail in it as a go-to weapon, I don't know why that makes me happy, but it does. <laughs> So the alien gets the drop on him again anyway from atop a trailer. Uh, But before the alien can shoot Alex, Beta comes along yelling and draws the fire. And the alien manages to have both Alex and Beta pinned down. 
in their respective positions, either underneath him directly or over by the convenience store. When Centauri pulls up in the star car and distracts even further, but he at least has a gun and he eventually shoots the alien comments on uh, it. He calls it a, a hit beast, I believe is hit the beast. term. Yep. Um, and has another name as well. He also calls it a, a stinking, disgusting creature because he's racist. Right. He's making it. Well, he makes it. No, he's making a big point about the stench of this. Yeah, of this thing. And he literally shot the alien's arm off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's still holding the gun on the ground, like that kind of thing. And Centauri explains that yeah, this is an interstellar hit beast sent by Zur to find and kill Alex, and that there's going to be more of them coming. And uh, Beta agrees that Alex would have a better chance of survival in space, while Centauri points out that Beta would be able to remain on Earth to lure away more assassins, which is something that clearly Beta hadn't considered in his original suggestion. Um, the severed arm of the hit beast manages to then point its gun and fire one last shot, uh, hitting Centauri in the side. And Alex makes the decision to go fight in the war. Yeah. So, arriving back at Starfighter Command, Centauri passes out right after landing, and Alex has to taxi the star car into position. He finds Greg, and they sort of pander to Centauri in his dying moments with these false promises of great wealth. Like, kind of, mm, I don't know. I don't feel good about lying to people even when they're dying. It just feels weird. It's greasy. But on Earth, uh, Beta mistakes a butterfly for a landing spaceship. And decides that he needs to fix his ears. So he's like sitting at a desk in the bedroom of the trailer and removes his head and starts to service it. And uh, Lewis... Not like that. What? Nothing. Removes his head and begins to service it? Not like that. <laughs> ah, yes. Uh, <laughs> Lewis sees this. Uh, and by the way, if I could unscrew my head, never leave the house. I'm- We'd all service it. Yeah. Like that. Like yeah, that. Don't make no mistake. Because in the 80s, you wouldn't. Right, the time. time. But. Fucking. Well, 2010s, Tori Amos introduced. Once Tori Amos took her head off and fucked it <laughs> on the, in the MTV Awards 1992, <laughs> then we were all doing it. And now in 2016, where it's basically Blade Runner out there, <laughs> like, there's no hope for us. We're taking all bits of ourselves off and servicing them just like that. <sighs> so, uh, Lewis sees the, uh, him working on the head, but Beta, with the head severed, or separated, tells him that he's having a nightmare and to go back to sleep, and then this light falls from the sky, and Beta realizes, oh shit, there's another alien here to hunt him. So that's great news, right? Does this really funny thing where he puts his hand over the bridge of his nose and rubs it, and then puts his other hand on top of his head and then shakes the head side to side so it looks like, like if it was on his neck, he'd just be shaking his head and face palming a bit. But he has to kind of do it like a puppet. He has to do it manually, thing. yeah. It's, it's funny. It's really funny. Mm-hmm. It's quite good. It's quite good. Uh, so Greg and Alex discuss the advantage of Beta being there to mislead Zor into thinking Alex is still on Earth while they're suiting up in their flight suits. Yeah. And of course, because he's a Beta male, he won't get off with his girlfriend while he's away. Boom! <laughs> they board the only I'm only joking. I don't believe it. Not I gotta say this now. I I don't subscribe to that. Oh, line of oh, you want you wanted to make sure that you wanted to I make wanna it have my cake clear that, that you here. weren't endorsing an alt right uh yeah. perspective. Yeah, it's like I wanna make the joke, but I don't want the responsibilities associated with having made it. So 
that covers me. Right. Now I get ev- now I get everything. Yes. Because God damn it, it's a post Amos world, and I can have it all. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they board the only Gunstar ship that was not destroyed in the attack. Uh. And, and, and this really is bothering Alex that, oh, wait a minute, you didn't tell me that, um, like, there's nobody but me <laughs> kind of a dick thing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but basically, he uh, Griggs starts teaching him about the function of the ship, uh, many of which Alex already understands because the experience of playing the video game was so much like the real thing because Centauri designed it to be that way. Uh, one weapon he's not familiar with is the Death Blossoms. Which totally, you know, um, not a like a, a MacGuffin, you know. Yeah, yeah, well, it won't come up again. No, uh, Greg says it's for a last resort, though. So I don't know. I don't. Know, maybe if they've got to resort to something near the end of the film, like, maybe it'll come up. It let's, could. It could come let's up. Let's find out. Right. Let's so, find out together, gang. As they take off. Uh, Greg does reveal that all the rest of the starfighters were killed in Zer's attack. Freaks Alex right the fuck out. Uh, yeah, but Griggs really, really not professional. Seem... This federation. No, but Griggs like not bothered by th- this at all. No, <laughs> he's like totally cool with the odds. He's like, all right, let's do it. He's he's strange. Griggs is he's odd. Yes, like and I don't know how to like describe him because he, like he's not. Typically, the sidekick would be like the he he clearly knows more about the universe than our character, and yet does not seem to have any concern about the realities of the situation. Yeah. He's the older, wiser, yet kind of yet veteran impulsive character, and doesn't have the cynicism that that he should. Even in even by like, he yeah, even by pre Amos standards, right? Yeah, like 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 B A. Which is anything we refer to before before Amos ascended, um, you know there were still some cynical characters. Sure, you know the films were earnest, but well, I mean, characters... Han Solo. And, yeah, yeah, and and this guy you'd think would be the. I mean, I guess or maybe even they the were... Spock. Yeah, yeah, he's not that at all. Like you say, he's impulsive and kind of naive, um, despite being the one like like Alex, the fish out of water who doesn't know anything, is the only one in the space side of this plot, making any rational... Nothing they're doing with him is rational. Well, maybe... Maybe that's just because, you know, our minds, our development, we're not ready for the concepts that they experience. Mm. You know? And so maybe because we're identifying so directly with Alex as a character, these things don't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It makes perfect sense to them. Right. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> so I guarantee you, this is this is more deep thought than I think anyone's put into the last stuff. We are like, there's a whole lot of philosophical. Like, I really do. This like this film has raised a bunch of philosophical questions. For yeah, me. yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, uh, Alex and Greg do some target practice, and naturally, Alex is really good at it, and uh, so that's cool. And meanwhile, Beta is trying to assist Otis on Earth in putting an antenna on one of the trailers. And then Maggie comes up behind him, startles him, causes him to drop the antenna. And she tries to apologize for having slapped him the night before, him being Alex that got slapped uh, the previous night. Um, And Beta asks if she smells anything. And 
I, like, that could have been a fart joke. Like, it, I, I don't know if it was... Not a, in the 80s. I, I don't know if it's a fart joke that didn't land. No, you know what it is. I mean, I, I know that there, that, that with the, you know, the preceding information, it's, it's supposed to indicate, oh, this assassin is close. Yes, yeah, yeah. Obviously. The, the shit base. But it could have served double duty as a fart joke and offended her. And perpetuated right. his incompetence. I see. Um, it I didn't, didn't. I didn't think about that. It, it, yeah. It, well, it doesn't. It doesn't land that way. It doesn't go no. in that direction. Uh, Maggie winds up. Uh, uh, I was viewing this through my my innocent eighties eyes. I'd regressed sure. as I watched. Sure. This. Yeah. It's it's totally different looking at it from a post Tory Amos perspective. Perspective. I mean Amos. Uh, uh, the Amos view. Uh, I think yeah. really sort of affects us all now. If if you're watching it in you know 2016 AD, yeah, through Amos tinted glasses, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a whole different situation. <laughs> uh, but he uh, he tries to shift all the blame for the slapping incident onto himself, and uh, Maggie in- intimates that they can resolve this issue sexually at the lake later in the evening. Uh, nearby, however, it, it, the payoff for the smell comment comes as one of these alien assassins is observing the scene through binoculars. Because, you know, the old, the old standby good equipment never, never goes yeah. out of style. How bad, how bad are you as a species if Hit Beast is your thing? <laughs> like, like, that's what you do. You are the the race of assassins. That's the hat you wear. And yet your smell is so distinctive (laughs) and overpowering that while you're far away enough to need binoculars, they can still smell you coming. On the way to the frontier, Greg explains what they're up against. It's an armada of fighters with a command ship behind it, issuing automatic orders to the fighters so they can act as one through a special command turret. Alex sort of does the the math and realizes that this means that to defeat the Armada, they would have to destroy the command turret, but to reach the turret, they would have to defeat the Armada. Uh, Grig overestimates his own ability to solve this problem, uh, saying that, uh, you know, he'll figure it out before they get to the frontier, and then moments later, an alarm goes off indicating that they have arrived at the frontier, and Grig has no plan. So, way to go, Grig. Uh, But Grig does pick up... Fucking Grig. (laughs) dick he picks up a uh, <laughs> grig the intern grig picks up a, a cargo ship on the radar and they pursue it while grig tries to hail it but the ship responds by turning around and firing on them it because it's a zurian ship oh, the bad guys and they start chasing it along the border fence and follow it into caves within an asteroid because they can't you know let it get away and inform the rest of the fleet that they're there and eventually they corner it, and Alex hesitates to fire at first, but eventually, after he takes, like, a whole bunch of shots, destroys the ship. And then totally freaks out on Greg again, who admits that he'd had kind of greater expectations for Alex in terms of the whole, like, Starfighter thing. And offers to take him back to Earth to enjoy what time is left until the Codan enslave it. So everyone's real, like, positive right now. Uh, this is kind of like the, the Alex hits rock bottom moment of the movie. Yeah. Uh, but but speaking of good times on Earth, Maggie and Beta are in the back of the truck with the young people on their way to the lake. 
And one of the young people tells this funny story and everyone laughs except for Beta, who is like very obviously not laughing in the obvious way a robot with no sense of humor would not laugh. And Maggie observes this and suggests that, you know, maybe Beta should do some human-like activities, including laughter. So he does, and it's inappropriate and at great volume. And as the young people drive on with uh, Beta... It sounds a lot like Tidus from Final Fantasy X. He does the Tidus laugh. <laughs> as they drive on, they pass this cop that's returning to his car after urinating behind a sign. Which... I... Was I supposed to think? It, I don't know what I'm supposed to think about that. It's uh, it's it's like what what the 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 message that horror movies had in the eighties, which is have sex, get killed. Well, this they, is pissing a bush. A sign get, get taken over by a hit beast. Yeah. Uh, so yes, the uh, the cop gets back to his car and he smells something in the air and finds it foul and gets attacked by the alien assassin, which just sort of assumes his form. But that I guess explains how the alien now becomes looking like a person. That's a thing. Um, Greg and Alex start to exchange stories of home as they are flying their way out of the asteroid. And Greg lives in a underground cave. And he's got a wife and about 6,000 offspring. And he's got pictures. Looks like a nice family, really. Uh, Greg shows It's actually a, a very funny moment then. It, it's, he shows it's the charming. first picture and it's them two just identical. Right, yeah. Uh, Greg shows... Or Alex shows Greg a photo of his family and explains what a trailer home is. How it's a, a cave that moves... And, uh, um, but, you know, he never went anywhere and Grig makes this sort of kind of profound statement about a moving cave that never goes anywhere. And it's like, huh, that's deep. Yeah. You have a mobile home that you keep stationary. It's dark. Um, uh, and this causes Alex to reminisce about playing hide and seek in caves, which gives him the idea that they could hide out in the asteroid. And wait for Zur and the Armada, and the Armada to like just pass by them, and then sneak attack the command turret from behind. But he's still like struggling with that whole. I don't think I'm ready for this stuff. Yeah, and Greg continues the passive aggressive guilt tripping that uh, Centauri started. So it's a lot of, oh well, you know, we could do that if you would do that. But you know, maybe you can go to Earth and live for a bit until you get destroyed. Yep. Oh well. Oh well. Uh huh. Fucking passive aggressive bullshit. They keep on floating until they reach the exit of the asteroid and run into about half a dozen more Zurian ships, which Alex now, like, neatly dispatches because he's got mad skills. He just, you know, was hesitant to kill. I, you know, I think He needs the confidence to kill. Yeah, the killer instinct had kicked it, but that's the thing about murder, is that every one you perform gets a little easier. Every time. This gives him the confidence to believe, you know, because now he's killed half a dozen people or ships i mean there are many people i'm sure piloting these vessels or at least more than one yeah yeah uh, on board at the... least two if if they're similar to the starfighter layout right so you know he's killed out he's killed now more than a dozen creatures yeah by this point you know all humanity is eroded sentient spacefaring creatures creatures more technologically and, and likely uh evolutionarily advanced than you are yeah, like imagine all the, the wild variety of aliens in No Man's Sky, but with a point. Imagine this. Imagine you are the guy who is brought to the island where people are hunted for sport. And then you turn around and kill several of the people who are hunting you. 
There's literally no difference. That is the situation, like, the, the, the godlike confidence that he would develop. Yeah, yeah. From having killed I mean, these. To be fair, we're looking at this through Tori Amos' eyes. <laughs> it was a simpler time. We're not supposed to think about the ramifications of any of this. So this gives him the confidence to believe that they should carry out his sneak attack plan. And he is a starfighter. Now, at the lake, Beta is struggling to understand the intricacies of human sexual relationships. He offends Maggie by not knowing what to do when making out, but he overhears the truck owner, a uh, young person, apologizing to his female companion and sort of uses him for Cyrano, which works out great until the conversation turns to involve other women. And, and and Beta does not get the response from Maggie that the other guy gets from the woman he's talking to, who is apparently totally cool with this kind of line. Well, people were a lot more sexually open back then. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It was a simpler time. Absolutely. <laughs> no stigma. So Beta gives up, and it just outright admits to Maggie that he's a robot. Yeah, not really that good at his job. No, no. And, and it, it fails utterly to convince her, as one would hope and expect. Um, but thankfully, the alien assassin has arrived on the scene and is there to just, you know, it's great timing. He just shoots Beta in the torso. Because this wasn't a cynical period. No. This was a time when... We had to quickly have the person believe the fantastical plot. Right. Because there was no time for this doubt and and making... Having people in the audience worried that life on Earth's going to be bad for Alex when he gets back. We can't worry about that. We've got a fucking armada to destroy. Zer's still out there. Come on. So, uh, it exposes some of his electric bits. His little robot-y parts. And so this that Maggie's sold. Beta goes on to chase the assassin, knowing that it will report back to Zer that Alex isn't actually on Earth. And Maggie insists on going with him to get a further explanation. So they steal the young person's truck. Mm -hmm. And the the Kodan fleet, meanwhile, is out in position. And Zer orders the invasion to commence, despite not receiving any confirmation from the Zurian ships on the other side of the frontier. Because that's just how Zer rolls. Impulsive. The Kodan commander orders the Armada to move cautiously and scan for energy signs along the way, just in case there's some sort of problem they need to deal with, because the fucking yeah. Kodan commander knows what the fuck he's doing. Greg and Alex are hiding in their ship, powered down, and the Armada slowly passes in front of them. Now, Bert and Maggie continue to chase the alien assassin. And somewhat disappointingly, Maggie has apparently accepted whatever explanation Beta has given her in this amount of time. It's not clear how much time it's been, but it cannot have been much. And, no. And, and, and Lucy needed some splaining. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> now, the alien gets back to his ship and gets in contact with Zer's command ship. But before it can finish delivering the message, Beta has Maggie jump out of the truck, saying he's going to do so as well, and drives it into the alien ship killing himself and the assassin. Now, Zer assumes that the incomplete message, which is the name of the movie, by the way, the message, the only part of the message he gets is the last yeah. starfighter, and he just assumes that the rest of the messages is dead. 
and orders. No, it's not an unbelievable assumption. Because nope. they're sent there to kill him. Right. So for them to come back and say the last Starfighter is dead is what they'd expect because I guess they they're unaware of the concept of beta units. Because if it, if it, if it was widespread knowledge that beta units were a thing, you'd never trust any assassination plot ever. No, no, no. That's that's true. But at the same time, without finishing the sentence, you'd still like we just just I would still want to know like if this is if these guys are. I such mean, it's still presented that the. Zer is being an impulsive That's dick, the thing, yeah. Sure. Because, yeah. you know, like, if I were the Kodad commander in their position, you know, my thinking is, where's the fucking body, period? Like, that, yeah. that's, that's, I want to see a corpse if these guys are so fucking dangerous. Yeah. Plus, what, why did he not finish that message? Right. What's going yes, on? Something Lord is so- Krill, that's his name, by the way, Lord Krill, because I've still got the quotes page oh, open excellent. for when I did that Movie Boys thing at the beginning of the show. Um, that's his name, Lord Krill. But yeah, he he clearly is the guy who should have been running everything. It's true. The whole time he should have been in charge. Uh, but, you know, he's always wanted to escape this rut that he's in where he's taking orders from this other guy. Uh, and it's not until... He plays an arcade game called The Last Chartered Accountant, <laughs> and he's really good at it. And a guy from Earth turns up and tells him, "You are the best. You you are the last chartered accountant. Come to Earth and do our taxes." <laughs> and that's how Lord Krill does in the sequel. The uh, so the Armada is going in at full speed, and hiding in the asteroid. Alex and Griggs see the command ship pass by them. So they start powering up the Gunstar, and they fly out, and the command ship quickly detects them. And enraged by the stupidity of Zur for assuming that Alex was dead, Lord Krill starts a mutiny, orders Zur's arrest, and has the ship begin firing on Alex. Alex quickly takes out the command turret, and then fires missiles at the command ship, and the resulting explosion allows Zur to break free of the guards dragging him away, so he hops into an escape pod and leaves the ship. The Armada. Setting us up for a sequel. Yes, that's right. The Armada, though unable to communicate with the command ship, prepares to attack the Gunstar. Now, Alex determines that they're going to need the Death Blossom. Because, but Greg warns that it's got this very limited range and it's never been tested. So you got to hold out as long as possible and it might just blow up the ship anyway. But now Alex, I guess this is the point at which um, the he starts to see things with a broader eye towards reality you know like his mind has been expanded by yeah, his the, galactic the amos experience. has been lifted from his eyes right and he acknowledges that they should have been dead already and they might as well just do this shit and the space fighting happens um it's all cg yeah and it does not look that bad actually yeah i mean it don't look great no. but it's 1984 for god's yeah, sake yeah it is it's but, like, there, are... it feels less obviously uh, computer-generated than Tron. Mm-hmm. You know, and now with Tron, that's the conceit, is that it is, you know. Yeah, well, it was all in the art direction. We, we right. mentioned earlier they'd already established smooth, vehicular kind of stuff. So it just kind of makes sense. Like, you can tell it's fake. You can tell it's, like, not good CGI. But stylistically, it still works. Yes, it's all You can very... get away with anything so long as you've got the right art direction helping you along. Exactly. Uh, the uh, 
Eventually, they're surrounded and overwhelmed, and they're out of energy for their lasers, and the Armada's all moving in for the kill. And so, Alex and Greg dramatically wait to the last moment to engage the Death Blossom, which sends the ship spinning madly in place like some kind of nauseating carnival ride. <laughs> firing lasers and missiles in all directions, wiping out the Armada. And all that remains is the damaged command ship. Now, it doesn't have functional weapons, but it is close enough to ram the Gunstar, which is floating without power after the Death Blossom has drained everything it's got. Grig starts trying to reroute the only system with power, life support, and manages to patch into the engine so that the Gunstar can escape in the nick of time with only a glancing blow from the command ship. Meanwhile, the command ship's got its navigational systems out, and it just keeps on rolling. And it flies right on past and into the gravitational pull of a nearby yep. moon. At which point, the best scene in the film happens. The... Which is Lord Krill and his officer. Yes. In, like, at the bridge, they're being pulled into this moon's gravitational pull, and Lord Krill's all damage report. I've still got the quotes open for when I did my bit at the beginning, <laughs> so I've got it right there. Lord Krill's, like, damage report and the officer's guidance system out, auxiliary steering out. Lord Krill's, like, divert, divert. And then Kodan officer says she she won't answer the helm. We're locked into the moon's gravitational pull. What do we do? And then Lord Krill's eyepiece swings over the left eye, which kind of ruins the moment. <laughs> Hits him in the eye, makes him blink. But then he just says, with utter dignity in the face of death, we die. It is so good. It is really good. Uh, Shame about the eyepiece, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had it not been for the eyepiece. Like, if they just... If they just installed a tension spring on the other side of that prop... Yeah, that's all, that's all needed. they needed. But, um, that bit aside, just, it's a... It's really, it's like Lord Krill is kind of underrated in the film. Yeah. Like, he's a good character. Doesn't get enough screen the, time. Yeah, not at all. Actually, the bad guys don't get much screen time at all. Even, like, Zer's barely in it for someone who's considered the big threat. Um, well, it's all about anyway. Alex. It's all, you know, it's... It, it is. And, yeah, so... He... I mean, to be honest, like, the final battle's over very quick. Yes, like, it is. It's all this big build-up to a big conflict against the Armada, and they're just, boof, gone. Like, yeah, the it's... Armada winds up being kind of small when you think about how many... Yeah. Like, I could see how they would be threatened by all of the starfighters that were in that. You know, if, if everybody who was sitting in that briefing hall was a pilot and they all had gun stars, yeah. mm -hmm. I can see how they would be. And, and seeing how the gun stars wind up equipped with, you know, lasers and missiles and how capable they seem to be in Alex's hands, people at or around his level of ability piloting those crafts, that armada should be fucking terrified. Well, yeah, then it's scary. It makes sense. You know, now they've got that control thing that's that could balance the scales, but I get it. Th this the uh, the one, I don't get it. Yeah. I don't, and they don't have enough people. Like they just don't. No. Not enough ships. No, they don't. That's an armada. They didn't have it locked down. They didn't have. You call it that an down. armada. No, no. I think the plan was always to send Zer in. You know, and have him, like, just get killed, and then the real invasion force comes in after he sort of softened him up a bit. Maybe. Maybe Lord Krill was a dick. Yeah, I, I mean, I like, don't know. You're I, saddled with this I'd guy. like to believe that Lord Krill is a, 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 a unwitting victim of the Kodan uh, Empire's uh, political machinations. Yeah. You know? Either that, or that's why he's so stoic at the end, where he's like, we die. Like, what do we do? We die. Like... He always knew that was coming. Oh, that's true. That it was could, his it noble been, sacrifice. It could have been part of his orders. 
Mm-hmm. The only thing that went wrong with his plan was Zer got out of it. Hmm. That's deep. I mean, we'll find out in the Starfighter, the sequel that is still in production and hasn't been made yet. <laughs> so, uh, returning to Rylos, Alex and Greg are congratulated by the Ambassador for stopping the invasion. But the frontier remains broken. Zer escaped, and there's other dangers out there, apparently. Something like that. And so he asks if Alex would remain on Rylos to help rebuild the Starfighters with the assistance of a restored Centauri. Uh, so Centauri survived. He totally su- hand waves it as well. They're like, oh, I thought you were dead. No, my body just shot down while it's self-repaired. Don't Let's think about, about it about too it much. He literally says. That's it. Yeah, he says stop thinking like a stop human or something human. like that. Yeah. Um, Alex looks out over the crowd cheering him, seemingly uncertain as to whether or not he should take the gig. You know, and he's sort of just like thinking about home there. And now this scene in particular sort of made me think um, about it because on the one hand, there's like I see two two things that could be going through Alex's head at this particular moment. Either, you know, and, and this is the one I think that the film wants to project it's that he is thinking and and sort of for the first time being confronted with the reality of his dream of getting away from the trailer park and experiencing life um what that actually means you know the distance that he would have from his family and everything that he's ever known in the trailer park and this sort of friendly supportive community that he has there even though he hasn't uh you know really doesn't doesn't foresee ever actually accomplishing anything of uh that 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 he'd feel personal worth over in doing so and and being faced with this uh, uh abandonment of that and so he gets sort of wistful and you know staring off into the middle distance when he's thinking about home i think that that's what the film would like to project but i think there's something else at play here i also think you can look at this and Alex can be imagining that nothing in his life has changed as a result of this event. That he is in exactly the same position of having responsibility that he never asked for nor desired Mm -hmm. being placed upon him with an expectation that he will help. Yeah. He's the universe's doorstop. So whether he is at home in the trailer park or the last fucking starfighter. <laughs> His yep. life he is, is still philosophically fixing Vera's electrics. Yep. It's dark. It's very dark. It's, it's very macabre. Got very Tori Amos towards the end there. <laughs> so on Earth, Maggie is staring at the starfighter machine, and Alex's mom is starting to ask questions about where he is. <laughs> now that would be a difficult conversation yeah that would be really i mean to hard. be fair like what they don't tell us is it's six months since uh the beta alex got destroyed <laughs> and just now the mother's noticed uh, maggie tries to uh to start to explain what's going on when the wind picks up and the gun star appears descending into the trailer park man if that's not an example of fate and pure blind luck mm-hmm. coming together now, yeah. little brother Lewis is thrilled that the Earth is being invaded. I really like him. 
Yeah. But everyone here is so weird. They don't seem like they could ever exist as people. No, no, no. I don't even think this whole... This takes place on it. <laughs> it's some alternate dimension. Yeah, the whole trailer park community gathers to watch the craft open. Because this is on the same level as Alex having uh, broken the record on the machine. Mm-hmm. Similar oh, yeah, points. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh... What if the trailer park is its own little planet and that's why everyone's loans get rejected? <laughs> <laughs> There's no other world out there. Well... Sorry, can't... Uh... <laughs> We're so near the end, I, I can't no, it's, take it's some right. more existential okay. tangents. They're all they're all uh, watching the craft open up and and someone descending, and this turns out to be Alex. It, this takes a long time to yeah. drag this scene out. I was out. so ready for the film to be done well, by this it's, point. Yes, it's it's resolved. Like, why? I mean, I know it's supposed to be dramatic for these people. I realize that, but the rest of us who have been so exposed to all this sci-fi shit this whole time. Yeah. Especially in the 80s, where, again, all these films were kind of thematically the same. So we know that there's going to be that choice between do I stay at home or stay with all the new friends I made. And And there's always going to be some way in which they can still stay in contact with their old friends, even if they stay on Earth, or they will just stay with the new friends. And aliens were a big deal culturally at this time, in general. Mm-hmm. Like, there was a lot... Like, we were moving out of the sort of uh, New Age mysticism wackiness and deeper into UFOs and aliens, I think, for a period of time in the 80s. And then, you know, then zombies became interesting again. Uh, after Tori Amos uh, uh, bit that person and started the outbreak at... Uh, yeah, yeah, at, I mean, when... In 1992 at the Grammy Awards. Yeah, yeah, it was... Uh... It was a dark time, nineteen ninety. It was a it was when, a difficult year. We made it through, but it when was when Tori not lifted easy. the shroud and uh, <laughs> let her necromantic practices bear fruit. It was a oh bad times. The uh, <laughs> uh, all of the, uh, the 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 Alex and Maggie reunite. Maggie's grandmother brandishes a shotgun, uh, <laughs> while the rest of the residents come closer once they see it's Alex. Yeah, And Alex explains that he's just been on another planet, which confuses everyone because of the beta unit, which basically just wreaked incompetent havoc on just about everybody living there. And then just then, Grig descends and freaks everybody out by being an alien, uh, enough so that they move on from doubting the robot thing altogether. Yeah, and here's a little fun continuity uh, point to make here. Oh, yes. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm a, you know literally about to say it. Okay, I'll, I'll do... do, do but I don't, I don't know that I... Uh, yeah, it's yeah. It's literally the next sentence. Alex introduces Greg to all the neighbors, who all understand him, in spite of the established fact that they would require a translator device to do so. There we go. Yep, the translator thing was, I mean, just completely forgotten after it was introduced. Yep. And yeah, not until here does it sort of, do you think that like he he shouldn't be talking they, English? They expect the audience had forgotten about it by that point because the writer did as well. Yep. Uh, Lewis grabs Greg's pistol in its holster and you know and, like there's this there's it's it's done playfully enough like if he'd done it quickly could have been threatening right oh yeah yeah you know, i mean that's why this and i know it's 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 before Tori Amos took that cop's gun well yeah i mean 1992 <laughs> at the oscars when she took that cop's gun 
I mean, that gave rise to tropes in movies where the badass would forcefully disarm someone else. Exactly, exactly. Back back in the 80s, back before Tori Amos ruined everything. But, but it, it, disarming strangers was a light-hearted introductory goof. But in, in now it's a crime. In the last Starfighter, you know, Griggs just just it's delightful. He chuckles merrily. Simple at this. Uh, you know, Grig tells everyone that Alex has saved hundreds of worlds, including the Earth. And he tells Alex, hey, it's time to go. And returns to the ship, making it pretty clear what decision Alex has already made. Now, Lewis wants to go with Alex, but there's only room for three on the ship. And Alex wants to take someone that it wouldn't be inappropriate for him to have sex with. Uh, Maggie hesitates for the same reasons that she did about moving the city and has this sort of... Uh... It's the exact same level of weight in her mind. Yes. Moving to the city versus living in space. Like, she raises the exact same, well, what about grandma issue? Not, you know... It's an alien fucking world. Yeah, everything I know... Like, I'm gonna go mad from the revelation up there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, she realizes that, oh my god, I really am afraid to leave the park. <laughs> and she asks him to stay. Selfish. Yeah. But Alex says he has to go do this, says goodbye. And as Alex begins to ascend on the ship, Maggie predictably changes her mind. And her grandmother tells her to write. And she joins Alex on the platform, they kiss, as the trailer park people wave and watch them leave, while Lewis starts playing the Starfighter game itself. They fly off into the stars, and the credits roll. That's the last Starfighter. It's a really simple 80s plot, I said earlier. Yeah. It'll take us really quick to do this podcast. Just knock it out. Yeah. We'll be fine. Yeah. The fucking Tori Amos had to come along in 1992 and ruin everything. Tori Amos, <laughs> when she invented the first podcast that ran long. The first podcast digression was Tori, yeah. Tori Amos. Yeah. At one of the other reward shows <laughs> in 1992, the British Soap Awards. Well, she, she provided commentary on that, didn't she? And it just went on yeah. way too long. Way too long. Way too long. Just kept talking to Terry Wogan about his dogs. <laughs> Terrible. Um, we'll be back in a second. So, Conrad, did you like The Last Starfighter or not? Keep it quick. Well, yes, yes. It's, it's delightfully weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it holds up very well. Uh, I don't... I don't feel a nostalgic tug to it. Like, I don't think that's part of the appeal. I think it's just a pretty well-structured movie. Yeah, I think it doesn't quite have the nostalgia because it doesn't need it as much to be remembered fondly. Um, I mean, you know, it, it wasn't going for heartstrings it was going for some of that star wars cheddar yeah you know it's clear that the film was a star wars attempt i mean it was around this time that the masters of the universe movie was out i think which was doing the same thing like so many films were going for that and this was one of definitely one of the more accomplished ones um that it went on to codify a trope of its own is testament to the fact that it had quite a bit of originality going on under the hood uh, that saved it from being just another Me Too Star Wars chaser. Yep. I think... And good characters. Really good characters. Um, weird characters. I mean, Centauri is... Even though he's based on that, that character from The Music Man, it's still unusual yeah. character. Because he's got the kind of slight Yoda-ish thing going on where he's the the older, possibly out of it guy yeah. guiding the guy but he's also this really shrewd 
asshole. And the villains as well, like you've got the the generic kind of militant bad guy and the um you know, that that jumped up spoiled upstart, which are not original characters in their own right, like character archetypes, but within that genre you didn't see a lot of it. Because again, everyone was going for the old decrepit old emperor palpatine style or the stoic badass vader style um which is kind of you got a bit of the vader from lord krill but you didn't have that kind of character the zur character who would go on to be more of like your general hucks in the force awakens that kind of guy very standard now but I, I don't think you saw too many of his type at the time i think centauri's interesting because yeah like like i said he's a he is a you know that very clearly if You've seen the Music Man. You will see the influence there. But at the same, he's got it. The uh, other character he makes me think of is Doctor Smith from Lost in Space. Mm, you know, mm. The the sort of cunning in it for himself, um, not necessarily evil. No, no, just very self censored. Kind of works with the heroes because nominally their assured survival is right. Kind of mutual. Yeah, I get that. I get that kind of feeling uh, from him as well as that 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 influenced the character a bit as well. But I, he's he's very good. Um, I I like I like Maggie a lot. Um, I don't think she she could very very easily have just been the girlfriend. Yes, I was surprised. Like I thought the Earth scenes would be dull. Mm-hmm. Um, but Maggie is a an interesting enough character. Um, Lewis is funny if. The writing behind him is a little bit alarming. <laughs> um, the beta scenes, adding more of those in after the test audiences is clearly a good move. Yes. Because, I mean, the actor playing Alex and Beta, like, he convincingly does both characters who are supposed to be, like, sort of the same character really well. Like, yes. he does the subtle differences between them. And sometimes not so subtle differences quite well. And the other thing I think that's great about the addition of the beta scenes that would have been lacking is that we get more of the Starlight community. Yes. Which uh, I think if it could had... Could have been a film in and of itself. Oh, right. I think that without that, the you know, more stuff with beta, it really would have been just relegated to that introductory sequence, uh, you know, where you're introducing them all very quickly. And then they're always seen as a group thereafter. And they they just would just be a mass and Otis, yeah. And so that wouldn't. That, I think that this really gives them a life and charm uh, that they wouldn't have gotten an opportunity to. Well, no, I mean, otherwise. well, when Tori Amos wrote and directed a mass and Otis, it was a terrible film. It was. It was. The mass had no personality, <laughs> and Otis. I don't think she understood the character. And yet, nominated for uh, a, a Hugo. I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. A Hugo at which she launched an army of crows that pecked out the eyes of everyone in the audience. <laughs> Unbelievable, Tori. Sort yourself out. So yeah, uh, that's yeah. That's how I feel about Last Starfighter. I think I think it's a, yeah. a fun jaunt. Uh, I wouldn't. I certainly would not mind watching it again. Um, I think. Yeah, I mean that's something where like the next time I'm doing a, a low key gathering, and we're like. We want to put on a, an easy-to-watch film that would entertain everyone. That that would be one of them. Yep. If we were feeling nostalgic that night. You know, if we were doing 80s stuff. If we wanted to remember a simpler time. If we wanted to remember a, a, a pre-Tori Amos world where we still had our innocence, the veil hadn't been ripped from our eyes, leaving blood everywhere. Unbelievable. 
So what are we doing next, Jim? Next, we are doing Resident Evil Extinction. Woo-hoo. Yep, it's October, so all of the episodes, and this is Both a twice-a-week show, so it's going to be two, uh, will have horror themes. And by that, I mean we're doing Resident Evil and then Silent Hill. So there, You yeah. know that one already. You know, Might as well just give you the calendar now. Um, so you've actually got a month to, to watch Silent Hill Revelation, and... If I were you, I'd put it off till the day before. And <laughs> I know Resident I Evil will. Extinction. Oh yes, I'll be doing it the day of. Uh, the yeah, Resident Evil Extin- Extinction. I was going to say extension, which wouldn't be too far off the mark from a cynical Toriyama standpoint. Um, the third in the Resident Evil series. Will it have better CGI than the last Starfighter? Probably not. I think that's it. I think that's it. I think that's it. Normally, we'd spend a little longer on the the, the post. Opinions. Man, that this gone went on so long. My ass is kidding. <laughs> we, we we did. We got off track once or twice. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. I mean, this is not going to include the the preamble stuff we we just had talking about stuff beforehand. Oh yeah. But I've been sat here for about three hours. <laughs> Uh, so yeah we're going to stop and all that remains to be said is thank you for listening and you can check out more Conrad uh, you can see him on Twitter at Conrad Zimmerman all one word mm-hmm. check out his YouTube channel Conrad Zimmerman that's the name of the channel we do a uh, podcast together another podcast different one uh, which is weekly that is uh, an improvised comedy podcast set in a fictional marketing executive building that is Fist Shark Marketing Fist with a T SharkMarketing.com you check it out. Actually, it's just fishshark.com, isn't yeah. it? It's not fishshark marketing. The show's called fishshark marketing. The website's called fishshark.com. And that'll do it. We'll see you in two weeks' time. Thank you for watching. And, you know, try and try and keep going just, in this Tory-afflicted it's, world. It's difficult. Um, but, you know, we're all cornflake girls now. Yeah. My hand's so withered. So, so old. All right. All right. There we are. That's the show. Yeah. <laughs>